Not everyone knows what they want to do when they grow up. My guest this week did. When I was a kid, I had written on my bedsheets in a Sharpie, New Yorker bust. So it was very apparent from a very young age I wanted to be where the action was. The details worked for Vogue for the rest of his life, but it didn't work out. I was arguably the worst assistant in Vogue history. Not to worry, because now he's a New York Times bestselling author, a fashion editor, a TV host, and most recently, the fashion and beauty director of YouTube. I think he's doing all right. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Derek Blasberg. Derek and I discuss what to do when the plan doesn't work out, why he never says no to anything, how no job is too small, and why he thanks Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen for his first book. Let's do it. Okay. I think this is my first ever podcast. I'm trying to think, you know, I've written a couple books, and so I've done many um, forms of promotion. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I've ever done a podcast. Okay. Once I was in Savannah, Georgia, and I was booked on a radio show. Oh. Um, which had a similar setup to this. Yeah. And I got lost, and I called into the radio show. And this was a very, I, I deduced a very small and local radio show because I called the contact number. Okay. And it was the DJ. Oh. So like I was on. Hey, you're on the air. <laughs> I was I was like, oh, I'm I'm on you know Highway 14 and I can't find it. He's like, oh well, you're on the air. We can't wait to see you when you get here. You know, um, you make a left at the at the next stoplight, and so he sort of gave me directions, and I had to turn the radio off because there was an echo chamber. Um, oh my god. Anyway, so this is much more uh, upscale. Than nice. The, Book promo I did in Savannah, Georgia on a local radio show. Yeah, well, we're sitting in the, the YouTube office, which is... Pretty swanky. Yeah, this is this is insane. You got little levers and things over there that look like, I don't know, like seismic measurement tools or something. Uh, those are speakers. Well, those little things. Oh, down there. Yeah, no, those, I is, know those are speakers. This is, um, <laughs> those are robots. They're giant attacking robots. Yeah. This is Lior Cohen's, um, I've actually never been in this room. As you probably know, Lior Cohen has, uh, was hired by YouTube, I think, two or three years ago yeah. to help them um, navigate the music market, and I love what he did with the place. Yeah, it's sick. Um, so before we, we go too deep, one of the reasons why I want to have you on is you are kind of this, this unicorn person that I can't put in a box. I unicorn. Can't, I can't understand. I'll take it. And I've been called a lot worse than a unicorn. No, no, no. It's a compliment. But there's, you know, I'm I'm from St. Louis as well. I didn't know that. Heck yeah, man. Well, why don't you open with that? That's the best thing. Well, I actually a, brought you a little gift that I'm going to give to you. From St. Louis? Is it Toasted Ravioli? To is it Emo's Pizza? It's better than that. Close is it your Ted eyes, Drew's? If it's Ted Drew's, I'll be really... Oh my God, it is Ted Drew's! Oh my god. It's a Ted Drew's hat. That's for you. This is awesome. I want you to know my little brother, shout out Trevor Kirkland, um, has worked at Ted Drew's for many years, has done the trees. To get a job at Ted Drew's is this is awesome. Thank you. I do appreciate this. I am gonna wear it. This is awesome. It is, by the way. Since this is a podcast, no one else can see it, but I just got <laughs> a hat from the most important dietary establishment in all of St. Louis. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Ferguson, Florissant, and then we moved out to. Um, That's when awesome. I was in high school. We moved out to uh, Baldwin, and so and now my parents live in St. Charles. Everyone's just gone further west, or they they hung out in the little Chesterfield Valley floodplain, you know. Which is typical, but I feel like there's now a huge um, 
effort to get all those abandoned factories and warehouses in downtown right? to, to have a Soho New York feel, which I don't know if that will work, but um, I went and actually, I love St. Louis and, and there's all these sort of uh, efforts to revitalize the garment district in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so I've gone down there and looked at a bunch of stuff that's down there. And the lofts are pretty awesome. Yeah. It sort of, it reminds me of New York. Um, the price point's a little bit different, of course. You can get a banging house in St. Louis for about a buck fifty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that includes that includes uh, everything else. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Wait, so where did you go to high school? Oh, um, I went to Hayeswood Central first, uh-huh. and then we moved. Um, you moved while you were in high school. It was awful. I mean, That's I'll brutal. I'll get real with you whenever you want, but it was <laughs> it was the worst experience of my life. And then I went to Parkway South, and it was I'm great. Well, it was an okay experience for me. I made a few pretty good friends, but then the rest of the what people... What year did you move? Like your sophomore year or something? Uh, end of my freshman year. That's crazy. Yeah. Those are the... Well, I guess, you know what? That is a terrible experience, but that may, has, that may have been what inspired you to move to New York and chase your dreams. The idea of it is. survivalist instincts and having to restart your societal friendships and it's exactly and it's i mean that's also why i've always kind of like loved and idolized you is because i was like maybe we're kind of like related a bit because we're both from st louis and <laughs> my st louis experience out. was much much different i went to the same high school i went to this not only the same high school i went to the same school district afton right afton school district k through 12 i um this is a fun fact that never ceases to amaze people when i say it i didn't miss a day of school k through 12 okay I had perfect attendance my entire educational experience. Um, Wait. I lived in the same house. What? I lived in the same bedroom. I had, a, I had the quintessential American, almost leave it to Beaverian um, experience. I played sports. I did drama club. I was active in student council. Wow. I was in the National Honor Society. NHS, respect. What were some of the other crazy councils I, I lived in? And and to to the effect of the differences in mine and yours high school experiences, when I graduated, because I had been in the same school district in the same house right. with the same set of friends, um, literally my best friend when I graduated high school, this girl called Maria Zeman was my friend from kindergarten. Um, I was scared to move to New York, so I think when if you but you were going to move right because the plan was to go to NYU. Yes, but I remember when I was looking at schools, my mother um, worked for Washington University in St. Louis. Shout out. I'm very prestigious. The, well, she was very dope. The Ivy League of the Midwest. Yep. Um, and so I could have gone there for free, and uh, I could have been within, you know, a driving distance of my mom and my dad and, and their kitchen and their laundry room. Um. And so I was, it was not an easy decision for me to move to New York. I obviously knew that for what I wanted in my life, it would not happen in mm-hmm. Webster Groves, Missouri. Um, but I, 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 it was really ultimately up to my mother who said, like, you can do this. This is not a problem. People move to New York all the time. You owe mm. it to yourself. This is what you want. And so uh, I appreciate so much my traditional uh, coddled. Uh, American childhood um, and it wasn't as easy as I think some people think it was for me to move to New York but obviously when I got to New York I was like oh my god how you crushed it how was I not going to move here yeah well I also moved here for uh, 
when you come to New York un, under the structure of an educational institution, I think it's much easier to uh, carve out your little piece in the city. Yeah. Because there's, I, I lived in a dorm, so room and board. There was a security guard. It was safe. There was a you meal had plan. I had a, what's a Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A at Weinstein. Weinstein Hall. Oh, you know? I was Hayden Hall. Oh, okay. Well, that was, that's, this fun is fact, getting... that was the first Chick-fil-A in New York for a long time. Oh, before really? It was before there were real Chick-fil-A's. Really? That's serious. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Everything goes back to NYU. <laughs> it does. Um, so you had the institution of NYU to And I also was you. able to uh, intern at magazines. And I, uh, my freshman year of college, I got a job um, working at a model agency, uh, writing all the biographies of the girls to include, and this is before Wikipedia. So this was uh, when agents needed to furnish the own biographical backgrounds of their girls. Um, and so when I, I know that there are people who go to college uh, in other parts of the world that then try and move to New York and they are daunted at the idea of showing up um, at 22 and finding a job and finding friends and, and carving out their piece of the city. Mm-hmm. But uh, for me, going to NYU, living downtown in New York, um, and having that experience, uh, I think, is what really set me up for a career in fashion. Well, there's there's a distinction I want to draw here because, yeah, you were from St. Louis. You did you did come from you know, in which you don't hide that you came from like a supportive family, a family that like believed in you and, and loved in you and wanted you to wanted you to, to make this trip. But I from looking you up very quickly say someone you know they're like who's Derek Blasberg and they see you and they see you palling around with all these people I think one thing that's hard that people may not know or or see is the unbelievable work ethic and drive um that you I don't I wouldn't say you that you really brag about which is fine but like you didn't really get anything handed to you (laughs) and and I think I want to be very clear with that because i think sometimes people see you hanging out with you know i i won't name names but just like a gajillion a-list type people and they're like oh this guy's just he's just cool he's just a friend of everyone when it's like no like you're a journalist and you're a published author and you have you know time is best-selling author that's damn right thank you so but i want to make that distinction because there are people in this world and i'm not here to to rip on anyone but there are people who maybe it's very very easy for them with, I don't know, maybe you're born into some family and everything's done and set up for you and you just kind of follow your path. But for you, it really sounds like you had to make your own path. And and that's really more of what I wanted to discuss with you today. Um, yes, I think everything you, you say is accurate and valid. Um, and I have to say, in my uh, late 20s, I was probably, I'm only in my mid-30s, so I, I don't Shout out, me too. I don't want to sound, when I was in my mid twenties, uh, um, I was upset at the notion that I was, uh, sort of a gadfly or, um, a man about town because, Mm. because I really, uh, prized myself on being, um, hardworking. I was the, uh, I can just tell you a bit about, um, my career trajectory is that I graduated NYU in 2004. Um, my first job was at American Vogue um, as an assistant to the managing editor, which I really wanted that job and I fought for that job because it's the only in- entry-level writing job at Vogue. 
Um, I mean, you write sort of contributors' notes or little boxes right. in the. You're not doing profiles. I'm not doing any cover stories. You actually write captions. Oh. I wrote the captions for Melania Trump's. Uh, Melania Trump was the first ever bride on the cover of Vogue, and I think it was. I think maybe it was February 2005. I don't know whenever they got married. Right. Um, and I wrote the captions for that Whoa. story. <laughs> Never would have thought, right? Now she's in the White House. Um, anyway, so it's a very, it's a, it's a very basic uh, writing job. Um, but it was, that's only 10% of the, of the job, and the other 90% was more managerial stuff. And I was, I was arguably the worst assistant in Vogue history. And so I think while people liked me, um, it became very clear that I was not cut out to be um, an assistant. So after a year, I was sort of, uh, at, the, at that time, mm-hmm. Vogue Russia and Vogue China, I think they had just started, or they were in the early phases. Yeah, because you wrote some of those pieces, right? I did a lot for... for the International Vogue. Or the International Vogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a column in Russian Vogue and Japanese Vogue called Letter from New York. Um, and this is while you're just an assistant. This is after I was oh, excused me. from my assistanting. Oh, okay. Um, That's a polite term. Yes. Uh, relieved of my duties as the world's worst assistant. Uh, but that's when it, in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, um, that's sort of what propelled that work ethic that you mentioned earlier. Is that from that moment on, I knew that uh, nothing is handed to you in yeah. fashion as a writer. And so uh, those early days, it was uh, a lot of pitching and chasing and um, writing for anyone. When I, I, I visited, I have visited a couple of uh, writing uh, programs and journalism programs. And like the, at that part of my life, the, what I tell other young people trying to make it in, mm-hmm. in uh, journalism is I, I didn't say no to anything. I wrote for, um, you know, daily newspapers. I wrote for, here in New York, there's a magazine called Avenue Magazine, which is a free magazine that they put in the <laughs> lobbies of buildings on the Upper East Side. Okay. Um, I wrote for that magazine. I wrote press releases. I did, um, I literally, if I would have written someone's emails if they had asked me. I said no to no opportunity. And that was because, first and foremost, I needed the money. Yeah. And secondly, I, I think that um, as a writer, the, you have to sort of exercise that muscle. Um, hmm. And so I, I mean, I, I, wish, I wish, I sometimes wish um, in the early part of my career, one would have clips and they'd put them in a book yeah. and you would go for meetings with editors and you'd bring your book of clips to show everything. No one does that anymore because now it's like scanned or you send a link or it's all online anyway. Yeah. Um, but I sometimes wish I had kept all those clips because the, the, some of those magazines don't even exist anymore. Oh. And then, and then I worked at style.com, which was Conan Nast's fashion website, which definitely doesn't exist anymore. Now it links straight to farfetch.com. Well, let me pause right here because I, you're, I, I like, obviously this is a, a great part of your life, but we did gloss over a little bit of your departure. And when you're young... And you work somewhere and... My departure from St. Louis or my departure from Vogue? From Vogue. Got it. Um, When you're young and you you lose a job, especially when you're young and like you're starry-eyed and you you feel like you're ready to take on the world and basically the world kind of hits you, 
what goes through you emotionally that causes you to keep going? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, did you have stupidity, like mentors? Blind, or? Uh, pride. Um, when my job at, when I was, you know, uh, when my job at Vogue, when I was fired from Vogue, it was probably the, you know, it was, I thought I was going to work that magazine for the rest of my life. You know, I was so happy when I got that job. And you were 22 at wanna, the time? And I was 22 at the time. Yeah, okay. I don't want to underestimate, or I don't want to under, um, I I was devastated, for mm. sure. Um, and also so young. Uh, but of course, uh, you know, I had friends and I had right. contacts and I knew that, I knew that what I was doing in the city, I was good at. Um, Who told you that? Or, or what made you know? Um, I don't know. You I, just felt just felt the passion of what you what you were able to do, and you because yeah, I think some people oppor, there were other opportunities. Yeah, and I think because some people when they see their work, they're often their worst judge, right? They're like, oh, I'm not good. I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, and I just lost this. But like, you knew that like you were onto something. You were doing the right thing. Yeah. I also had a lot of uh, passion for the industry. Right. I was, um, you know, extremely knowledgeable. I was extremely educated in fashion. I knew what I was doing and what I was talking about. Um, the stuff that I had written had been well received. Um, I had a lot of friends. Right. Uh, um, you know, I've, I've spoken about, you know, even Anna Winter uh, talks about the importance of being fired. And I, you know, and I've spoken to so many people about how the, def how, um, those are the moments that define your success. Failures mm. are the moments that, that define your success. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld once told a funny story. I forget the name. I think he was on a show in the late eighties called Benson. Okay. Do you remember Benson? No, no, I don't. I there's some episodes on YouTube. <laughs> um, and he like was hired for a bit part and they fired him. And they didn't even tell him that he was fired. Oh, geez. And so I guess he like had gone to work one day and his character just wasn't in any more of the scripts. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're fired. And that was what sort of propelled him into creating his own show. Um, I think Michael Jackson was cut from his high school basket. Or, uh, sorry, excuse me. I think Michael Jordan was cut from his uh, high school basket. You know, all the, oh, yeah, you're there's, absolutely there's right. a zillion stories in yeah. the world. Oprah, I think, was fired from her first newscasting job. Mm -hmm. I could give you a zillion examples of, of successful people who um, found one of these crises in their life and channeled success from it. Right. I don't think you know that in the time. I yeah. Don't, I don't think in the moment you realize that. But I, um, while well, I was devastated about uh, no longer working at Vogue, where I thought I was going to work for the rest of my life, um, I think there's a small part of you that knows life is long. Yeah. A career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and here we are. Yeah. My mid twenties were really one of the, uh, busiest times of my life personally, of course, but also, and, and even more so, uh, professionally. So there was a time when I was editor at large of style.com. I had my own column and interview called fast and loose, mm -hmm. which was my own pictures and my own stories. I was the editor at large of V magazine. Jeez. And I was, and I was on the masthead at Harper's Bazaar. So you were king of the world a little bit. No, quite the opposite. I was like the, uh, 
I don't, I don't know what um, the court jester of the world, if we're going to keep it a, an aristocratic <laughs> uh, metaphor. Um, but I, I, I knew that in, in the 20s, I felt that in my 20s was the time to really build a career. Mm. And I saw these opportunities and I, and I chased them. I didn't, again, I didn't say no to anything. Yeah. My mom always tells this story and, and she's mentioned it in a couple of things. So you may know this. When I was a kid, I had written on my bed sheets in a Sharpie, New Yorker bust. Yeah. So it was very apparent from a very young age, I wanted to be where the action was. Well, let's, let's go back to your career real quick. So you were writing for style.com. Yeah. Which, and then you started to, you're suddenly on the masthead of all of these other big magazines. Yeah. When did the concept of a book come along? Because while you're doing this, you are sort of kind of like learning the, the concept, rules. The, I mean, this is uh, curious. The, I have two people to thank for my first book. Okay. And that's Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson. So, okay. and, so they had a book that came out maybe in 2008 or 2009. It was called Influence. And it was a series of interviews that they did with people they thought were influential in um, contemporary culture. Okay. So there was Peter Beard and Bob Kulicello and Diane von Furstenberg and Christian Lebouton and uh, George Kondo and Richard Prince. Um, wow. And I edited that. And I, was, I had met Mary-Kate. Um, I don't know how Mary-Kate and I became friends, but we've... We became friendly. Sure. Uh, she was like, we're working on this book. Would you consider helping us edit it? And I was like, of course. Obviously, this is an amazing opportunity. So I worked for those two girls. Um, I mean, it's ironic to call them girls. They were already at that time, you know, self-made empire builders. Yeah. Um, and that book was published by Pen- Penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, that book, I think, came out in 2008. Um, and the the president of the penguin imprint that published that book approached me after that book was finished and said we had a great time working together would you consider doing another book with us at that time i thought i'm really focused on my career in magazines and journalism mm-hmm. i'm not interested uh in doing a a you know the concept hadn't been fleshed out um i was like i, was like, I don't think i have enough time to write a book Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty lofty thing to do. And also, you know, you know, you probably know enough about book publishing to know that, you know, there's an advance, there's mm-hmm. deadlines. I was daunted at the prospect of doing a book, so I declined, which is insane, you know. And, uh, there you go. Uh, I mean, I didn't decline so formally. I was like, oh, I don't know if I have enough time right now. I'm really the humble daunted by this. Yeah. Let's revisit this later. And then that was when um, sort of the the advertising recession kicked in. And so at the time I had a column and interview magazine Mm -hmm. and and I was working at V magazine. And in 2008, when that, when advertising took a real hit in the, in the economic recession, do we have a name for, I guess that was the, yeah. People have said the great recession, the great recession. Yeah. Um, I suddenly looked around and I said, you know, if advertising is going to be hit, these small downtown publications that I'm working at are going to be hit first. Mm-hmm. Um, and did I just decline a book deal? This is insane. So I, after that, I went back to, his name was Ben Trank at, at Penguin. And I, and I said, you know, like, let's figure out this book. Like, I'd love to do something together. 
The holidays are here, and I'm sure you're wondering what to get for friends or family or even yourself. This holiday season, everyone wants to get away. Away has the perfect gift for everyone on your list and for every destination on theirs. Away creates thoughtful standards for modern travel, universal pieces that reflect your personal style and make every trip more seamless. Whether it's the injectable TSA-approved battery or a built-in front pocket, they come in a range of colors and materials that suit their travel style. All suitcases are made with a premium German polycarbonate that is impeccably strong. I've been using my Away carry-on for over a year on dozens of trips and it still looks new. It's funny too because once you get one of these, you feel like you're in a club. I notice other folks with their Away luggage and I'm like, oh hey dude, what's up? Oh you got one too? Okay, yeah, respect. What are you doing? Oh, charging your phone? Nice, yeah, me too. Right now, Away is giving Blamo listeners $20 off their purchase. Visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use promo code Blamo at checkout. Don't even worry about shipping. Away has you covered. Last but not least, Away offers a 100-day trial. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. So visit awaytravel.com forward slash Blamo and use promo code Blamo at checkout and get away this holiday season. But essentially... We went back and forth for a long time, and the concept we agreed upon was a collection of humorous essays about etiquette. Right. And this was the time that Jersey Shore had just come out. Yep. And I suddenly thought, oh my God, I've got the zeitgeist all wrong. Like the most famous person in the world is Snooky, and I'm doing a book that says you don't need to be a drunk slut to be popular. This is insane. I can't believe I'm publishing this book. And is often the case, and as we can see now more than ever, there's often. Uh, two sides to every story and mm-hmm. uh, society is very polarized. Um, and so that book came out, I think in 2009 or 2010. I believe it was 2010. Okay. 2010. Yeah, I think so. Or whenever Jersey, we can look it up on our Jersey short came out, <laughs> yeah. um, which is back out now. And it was on the New York times bestsellers list. Yeah. Which I found more shocking than probably everyone else. Well, wait, why is that? Because Snooki was the most famous woman in the world, a woman who had never read a book like Classy, <laughs> which was a, a collection of humorous essays about etiquette. Well, I guess it goes to show you, like, literally, there are chapters in that book, like, never get drunk on camera. And you had, yeah, that, a girl getting drunk on television. Yeah. And often. I did not think that book would do well at all. Um, and it did. And it did so well that we did another one called Very Classy. Yeah. I mean, they're excellent. They're, you know, I think they're, you know, I mean, for those who haven't read it, but they're, they're like, yeah, these essays and tips and manners and how to treat people and how to be treated. And it's like a, a formal do good, wonderful, the like, top line picturesque note society. Is that, is that society needs more ladies and it does tramps. And what's sort of fascinating about those books is that uh, a lot of the information in there is sort of commonsensical. You know, you, sure. do, you don't need to be commonsensical, tra- maybe to a guy growing up in the Midwest. Maybe. Yeah. But um, I actually had, you know, I was, and I was apprehensive about doing a collection of humorous essays about etiquette because uh, I was unsure what that would look like in the larger fashionscape. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is that, is that edgy? Is that uh, contemporary? Um, in the end, though, I had a great time. The, the, because the, because writing that book felt in a lot of ways, I was saying things that come very naturally to me. Mm. It was a very honest book. It was easy to write. Um, uh, it was easy to illustrate. When the book came out, 
Um, I went on a book tour, which was easy for me to be uh, social. You know, like I actually had such a good experience with that book and the second book um, that I look back on the apprehension I had of writing it. Uh, you know, and it was ridiculous to be apprehensive. <laughs> well, this, you know, also kind of like continued your sort of career trajectory climb because eventually you become a TV host. Yes. For CNN. Yes, which I think was 2015. Yeah. And um, this is where, like, to me, it. I think I probably first interacted with you more um, and probably what the majority of the world might have when you were doing your stuff on CNN because I knew you from Fashion Week stuff. I mean, I moved here in 2004 and I was trying to, you know, make my way into the industry. And so, like, I would see you at, you know, on the front row at different events and things like that. And I was like, oh, I think, you know, I was trying to learn more who's this Derek Blasberg guy. But then as I followed your career, you're on CNN and you're doing these like camera interviews with people who don't go on CNN <laughs> and don't go on camera, period. And, and I think, you know, as we talked a little bit about like the hard work mentality and, you know, and maybe the ethics and the Midwestern respect that you've, you know, that you have, there is something that you were able to do with some of these people like Karl Lagerfeld, you know, I mean that, what other TV thing has he done? Can, would you mind sharing how you were able to get him to, to do that? I mean, I'd met Carl. Uh, Carl Lagerfeld of Chanel. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, I'm, I've known him for years. I'm trying to think of the first time I met him. When I worked at V, the founder of V is a guy called Stephen Gann, mm-hmm. um, who is a close confidant of Carl. And so when I was working with Stephen... I guess that's maybe 10 years ago I first met Carl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I mean, I faxed him to ask if he would do the CNN show. It's the only guy left. There's a woman in Texas called Lynn Wyatt who faxes. Okay. And Carl Lagerfeld who faxes. I think those are the last two faxers. Faxes. Faxes. Wow. Okay. So I faxed <laughs> Carl Lagerfeld and he was up for it. Yeah. Well, was he up for it because of you or was he up for it because it was CNN? I mean, Carl is, Carl is very aware of, um, his ability to, uh, uh the power of messaging. Mm. I mean, so Carl is, Carl does a lot of things with people that he knows. Okay. So, um, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't want to sit here and say he would never do CNN without me because that's probably no, inaccurate. I, I, I'm not but I do that. think he was, more comfortable because it was me. And I do think the process was probably expedited because we are friends. Right. Um, but he, but CNN is, you know, an international global network. I don't think yeah. he, it wasn't the heaviest lift for him. Sure. To, Oh, you want to talk about my career and, uh, couture collection? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't so crazy. Right. And then, you know, from, from there on you, obviously you get hired at, or maybe this was before the Gagosian Gallery. Yeah, Gagosian. I started Gagosian, doing Gagosian. I started doing before CNN, so maybe 2014. Yeah, yeah, 2014. So that, like, to me, I'm looking at this like all the achievements that you've made. It's, you're you, you you're done. Like you, you did it. <laughs> um, Not really. Uh, 
I mean, I think what's important, I guess if we were looking for some common threads in here, sure. is that uh, there is a time, I think, in fashion when, or I think there was a time in society when all of these roles were sort of siloed. You had people who worked in television, you had people who worked in art, you had people who worked in fashion, you had people who worked in newspapers or magazines. There wasn't a lot of gray area, there wasn't a lot of, in a Venn diagram, there wasn't a lot of overlap. And today we see so much overlap. Um, Virgil, is Virgil Abloh is a good example of right. a guy who went to architecture school in Chicago who is now the designer of a menswear the the one of the most storied fashion houses in the world mm-hmm. he designs their menswear collection um i don't think that would have happened 10 or 15 years ago why is that because you were either a designer or you were an architect gotcha um and in my career uh i started as a writer and i you know uh bled into other bled is a good analogy but uh, I mean, led into other industries, including art, including uh, television. Yeah. And I think um, in a lot of ways, what I'm doing here at YouTube to, to bring us to the modern day is my bet is that YouTube will be, uh, in a way, the TV of the future. Mm. Um, and so if you're interested in television and fashion and art and culture, um, I hope to to create a world here on YouTube where you can tap into that easily, accessibly, and accurately. So to, to just kind of recap this, I mean, do you think it's because of like social media and the internet where people have just, you know, because I mean, you basically are, yes, like a Renaissance man. That No one, if, when someone was talking about you, they're like, well, I don't know about Derek because, well, Derek, you know, is a writer. He can't, he can't be on TV. He can't, you know, he can't host, he can't do any of these things, but somehow you got into that. And, and even hearing from, Oh, do you think it was social, social media that, or just the, the time, like, you know, because of the internet, all, like you were saying, like all these lines just get blurred. And, you know, I, I see you because I follow you all over the place doing all these things. And maybe, you know, people like, People aren't really segmented anymore, you yes. know, like what you were saying. Like, you can be anything you want. Yes. That's and that, a good thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. And I just, I think, you know, the, the tough thing is there are people who see um, you and who see other people like you, and they just think that there is a, a path to follow and there's a code to do. And and it's funny because oh even no one's following my path. Even from doing this podcast, you know, where a, a lot of other guests that I've had, you know, we talked about how they got to where they are. And with you, it's funny, and I'll be totally honest. It's it's challenging for me because your story is just so dang unique. I mean, it's 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 really beautiful. is it that unique though? Yes, it is. I mean, if you want, I, I'd love to spar with you on it and tell you how it is. <laughs> if, but yeah, no, I I guess I guess from my perspective. It is the application of the core set of values I learned in Missouri mm-hmm. that uh, that have proven um, effective in what I do today. What I never say. I said yes to this podcast. I still never say no to anything. Yeah. Do you know what I, I'm very, and that I think also comes from a place where um, 
I'm, I'm comfortable talking. I don't have a lot to hide. I'm not, you know, and that's not only in podcasts, that's on social media. I posted a picture of my mom yesterday. You know, like I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if I have not given enough consideration, uh, to what you're sort of explaining. Um, I've done, I've always done what has felt comfortable to me. Well, and I, I think so that is if, if, if that CNN offer comes on the table, that sounds awesome. Oh my God. I'd love to have a show on CNN. If an art gallery says we would, we, we love your writing style. Would you contribute some text to us and help us get our magazine off the ground? I don't know if you've ever seen Gagosian quarterly, but it's yeah, one of the things I'm so proud of. of. Oh my God. To help a art gallery build a magazine. That's awesome. I'll do that. You know, it, it's a, I don't want at the same time, I don't want to, um, uh, act like there's not effort that all this stuff has fallen onto my lap. Um, I, I, it just goes back to those core set of things I tell journalism students today that I've never said no to anything, that no job is too small. Um, I've never had a strategy or plan. Uh, the one time I had a strategy and a plan, which was get a job at Vogue and work there for the rest of my life, was a bad idea. Yeah. That failed, that, that bombed. Yeah. Um, so I guess I can identify that it has been unique and that there's not been uh, a college graduate who has done so many varied professions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, a lot of the things that I've done haven't even been around that long. My favorite thing to get is an email from someone who works with me in fashion who's looking for a senior social media manager. You know, and, and you're like, oh, what are the job requirements? And they're like, oh, we want someone who has 10, year of ex- 10 years of experience, you know, in social media. And, and you're like, that, that, that job doesn't exist. Like, that person doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think Instagram was founded less than 10 years ago. You know, there's yeah. now all these brands and companies are very aware that a lot of uh, search and discovery is done on mobile or on the internet. And so they're looking mm-hmm. to build, beef, up their, beef up their staffs in those departments. And, um, they're applying old school methods uh, to a, a new age of uh, connectivity. Um, so yeah. Well, can we talk a little bit about that before before we wrap? You can talk about anything you want. Where I got nothing to hide. No, it's fine. Where do you think a lot of fashion is going? Because just to paint from my perspective, I've spoken to designers whom are really frustrated that you could see for example, Prada's recent show on your phone the second it happens all over the world immediately. That's frustrating? Yeah, for them. And then I've talked to other designers. Well, I, I won't. I'll, I'll give you both cases here. And then I've talked to other designers who think it's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, some of these designers, the ones that don't like it, are like, you know, all this hard work is done, is done and... It's about sitting there. It's about feeling it. It's it's the music. It's, you know, like you've been to a Rick Owens show. I mean, that's really hard to try to communicate on a video platform. It, it It's possible. And, but then you have these other designers who think it's great because now there are people who are able to be influenced by this fact that you can immediately consume and be a part of this and also associate yourself with a culture that otherwise was relatively known not be the warmest for associating with others. And I'm just curious, where do you lie in, in this situation? 
Well, I'm not a designer, so the way I look at these things, well, is as a fashion it's good, journalist, it's good, and I, I'm just trying to preface my argument with I'm looking at it from where I'm sitting. Sure. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. There was no window into the fashion industry in St. Louis, Missouri in the late 90s. Yeah, got to go to Plaza Frontenac, and Mr. Guy. And that's as close <laughs> as you're going to get. Yeah. So for me, a kid who grew up in St. Louis, the idea of having live streaming and uh, backstage and all of that is is wonderful. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved to New York in 2000, I had no idea that the fashion industry existed. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was a photographer. I knew there was a model. But I didn't know there was a stylist, an art director, hair and makeup, um, uh, full-time manicurists, craft services. All This whole industry to me was a complete uh, mystery. And when I encountered it, when I was 18 years old, I was like, oh my God, this is where I belong. This is what I'm devoting my, my career to. Um, so when, when you're asking what my opinion is on the idea of opening, of opening up the world of fashion, to people who don't typically see it, mm-hmm. um, I think that's awesome. I am not a designer who is worried about intellectual property or a young designer who can't afford to live stream all their stuff. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there are other sides of all these arguments. But for me, um, I love knowing that there's probably a kid in St. Louis, Missouri, who likes fashion, um, who through YouTube... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We'll have uh, the same perspective of someone who is in New York or London or Paris or Dubai or right. Um, we're opening up a window into a a world that I've always that I'm still um, fascinated and inspired by. Yeah. So I think it's great. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. I, I think mean, it's great. That's no, the, that's my no, intellectual. Uh, it's awesome. No, I mean, I I do too. I I generally the people who have been really frustrated by it i think are people who are maybe more narrow-minded in what they're they're thinking and like for me especially when you think about now in our culture and and i'm not trying to get into this but it things should be more welcoming than they should be closing off and especially something like fashion where it's you really prize someone's individual or individuality and and unique love and appearance like we should be very open yeah to that. and and i i want that to be the case at, at all times and you're right i do want to be respectful of intellectual property but but i don't want to just dis- i don't want to discount anyone else's opinion no it's fine and we actually i mean that's a bigger picture argument is that i think we live in a world now where everyone thinks that they're right and they don't want to look at the perspective from other people from where other people are sitting sure so we're in my seat i love <laughs> i love showing off everything yeah um, I love seeing backstage. I love seeing front of house. I love seeing after the show. I love seeing, you know, I, I love showing all that off. But of course, there are people who are less interested in pulling the curtain back. Yeah. And that's, that's their prerogative. And if there is a designer who doesn't want to uh, live stream, if there's a magazine who doesn't want to do um, video content, if there is a uh, photographer who refuses to have cameras uh, working behind the scenes on their shoots. Yeah. Totally their prerogative. That's I think fine. they're missing an opportunity. Um, but I'm not. Yeah. Well, Mr. Derek Blasberg, we're, we're starting to wrap up here. I have one other question to ask. And uh, what are your thoughts on streetwear? Streetwear. I mean, that's the, the style of revolution we're in the midst of. Yeah. Um, 
You know what I did? Okay, so this, okay. This is not an answer to your question, but That's it, fine. it just made me think of this. So you saw when Supreme put the New York Post. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I have a few in my house. So I have a subscription to the Post. I, I subscribe to a lot of newspapers, but I particularly love the Post, and it's primarily because their use of puns and headlines. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone follows me on Instagram, but I'm a big fan of puns. Um, the Post is, you know... Uh, not the go-to place for liberal news, but yeah, I love sure. a pun, so I subscribe. Um, the and I also love Supreme uh, Streetwear is a undoubted uh, cultural moment that's overtaking the entire industry. Um, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is awesome! I can't wait to get my copy of the Post." Uh, it was taken. <laughs> Someone had stolen my. I mean, that's how much. Uh, that's, that's how valuable those got. Jeez. And I was pissed. I yeah. Was like, someone stole be. my fucking Supreme, uh, <laughs> New York post collaboration, which for me was like so genius. And so, so street, so spot on. So I checked all the boxes. And so I was like, I'm going to find, I have to find some. Yeah. Every deli's sold, uh, YouTube's here in Chelsea. All these places are gone, you know, gone, gone, gone. Um, and I finally was like, you know, I'm going to call the Carlisle hotel. No one's, buying up all the Supreme covers in New York. And sure enough, the Carlisle Hotel sold me all of their copies of the Post. Oh so my God. when I think of streetwear, I think of, uh, of, of, of how it has infringed upon um, so many areas of, of our life, not just the way we dress, but also the way that we um, look at the world. Yeah. Uh, Virgil was a controversial hire at Louis Vuitton for a variety of reasons. Sure. Uh, but it's undeniably awesome that a French fashion house hired an African-American from Chicago to design for that company. I agree. Um, Supreme, I think, is... Uh, Supreme won a CFDA award yeah, earlier I, this year. I was almost angry about that, and then I had to realize that I am an arrogant idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what the name of the award was. I, I think they won the like menswear fashion. Oh, really? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's a long night in fashiondom. I was there. Uh, the best is what like James Jebbia, who is the founder and of uh, Supreme, w- like was just like, "All right, uh, thanks. Got this. <laughs> See you." But guys. that was all. But I, I was I was proud of fashion yeah. to have put a spotlight on a. Uh, niche of this industry that mm-hmm. that a lot of people in uh, fashion are scared of. Yeah. Um. So, I think it's like I said earlier. I think it's great. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's the top line of all of this. Derek thinks it's great. It's that's great. awesome. Derek, I I can't thank you enough for my pleasure. And We're right on time. Yeah. Well, I wanted to be look at that. Video. So, um. Thanks again. It was good talking to you, and uh, we'll chat with you soon. Thank you. Later. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like this episode, there's tons more to listen to at blamopod.com. Listen to Blamo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. While you're at it, tell a friend, leave a review. It helps let others discover the show. Follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back January 7th for Season 5.